You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, it's turkey season all over the country right now, and if you're looking for a turkey shot that is just going to slam turkeys dead, you need to check out the Heavyweight TTS. Now, it comes in a variety of gauges, whether you shoot a 410, a 12 gauge, or a 20 gauge, this is the turkey shot for you. A lot of cool things going on with this. It has 22% denser material than a standard tungsten, uh, 56% denser than lead. So what this means is that at longer distances, you're getting higher velocities and a more consistent patterning. It has a full length wad that prevents direct contact off of the extra hard pellets and the bore. And long story short, that protects the barrel If you want to find out more information about Federal Premium Ammunition, visit federalpremium.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we got a very interesting episode for you today. It's not about hunting, but it's about gathering right? We talk about mushrooms. We talk about walking in the woods or out in nature and finding things that you can actually consume, that you can actually eat that are safe. They're plants. We talk about mushrooms. We talk about uh, twigs and berries and all these different varieties of vegetation that you can consume right? We talk about dandelions, right? I've never, I've never met somebody so passionate about dandelions than today's guest. And, and she is Jen Meyer and she works for the Iowa Board of Conservation out in Jackson County. And uh, she is a naturalist. And long story short, that's what this episode is about. It's about finding food in the woods, right? And we talk about mushrooms and plants, all those things I've already said. Uh, and it's gotten me excited because I love going out and finding mushrooms every year. But one thing that I've never really focused on is other plants like dandelions. I've never really focused on dandelions or focused on any roots or other edible plants. And it's kind of got me interested in doing something like that. So uh, Jen kind of explains how she got excited about plants and vegetations and mushrooms and all those things, why she's a naturalist, what she does uh, for Jackson County, how she educates people, and we have a good old-fashioned conversation about vegetables, basically, you know, wild vegetables that you can put on your plate and eat. So a very interesting conversation. I had a blast. I love listening to new and unique things that aren't necessarily hunting and fishing, right? But in a way, it's still about nature. 
Uh, I love these types of con- uh, these uh, conversations, and uh, hopefully you guys get a kick out of it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, please be sure to stop by iosportsman.com. Check out the blog. Make sure you guys sign up for the Iowa Sportsman magazine. Get a subscription. It's it's pretty cheap, and there's a lot of information in that magazine and on the blogs that you guys will love, especially if you're an outdoorsman. Be sure to pick up the Iowa Sportsman Atlas that they have. Uh, they that You can find that on the Iowa Sportsman website as well. And uh, other than that, make sure you guys are following along on Facebook and make sure that you guys are subscribed to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast or the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network where you guys can get all of the uh, all of the podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation. So, without further ado, here is naturalist Jen Meyer. All right, on the phone with me now, Miss Jen Meyer. How you doing? I'm well this morning. Good morning. Yeah, the sun is shining, but I think that's only uh, for a little bit before we get, uh, I don't know where you live in Iowa, but uh, I know we're supposed to get potentially two to four inches of snow where I live. Well, gracious. Um, I haven't looked at the forecast, so I can more thoroughly enjoy the snow or the, the sunshine, <laughs> not the snow. <laughs> right, right. Um, so today we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things, um, all the variety of different plants and maybe mushrooms that uh, a person could go find and eat in the uh, state of Iowa here. And, but before we get into that, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what your role is and uh, where you work? Sure. Uh, at the moment, I am graced with the privilege of working for Jackson County Conservation. So, obviously, Jackson County here, <laughs> right in eastern Iowa along the Mississippi. And my job title is naturalist. So I get to do all the wonderful things that bring education and awareness to the public. Um, right now, with the COVID I'm not seeing any people, at least not as many as I wish, (laughs) but uh, we're working on getting ready for when we can see people. We're still uh, planning our camps and our field trips and our backpacking experiences, making sure that the nature center is in good shape, the landscaping. Um, Also, I've had a great opportunity to work with our rangers and operations technicians to do maintenance like prairie burns and trail restoration and uh, going out and really doing some hands-on work. And it's been fabulous to get to know some of our wildlife areas a little bit better and to get to know my coworkers a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad would take us up to northeast Iowa over by, uh, oh, Backbone State Park by Strawberry Point, or we would go up to uh, McGregor for... uh, um, Pikes Peak and we'd hike on the trails and I can remember asking them you know dad who who takes care of this and then he kind of explained to me how you know along with volunteer work along with a, a whole bunch of different people is who maintains this the state parks for everybody to go and enjoy yeah and and the fabulous volunteers who come join us along the way so the parks are for everyone, and, oh, I just love the whole system. It yeah. feels great to be part of a, a network of great people who says, yep, it's our outside. Yep. Come play. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, naturalist, what does a naturalist do, not only from, like, a day-to-day, but throughout the entire year? 
Well, it really depends on how our board defines that position. Um, a naturalist, if I go to the dictionary, is someone who shares the natural world and provides interpretation on how do we interact and uh, what are things we can do to be better connected to our local area. Um, uh, Iowa is so privileged to have the county conservation system. In the 1950s, the Iowa Conservation Commission, now known as the DNR, decided we needed to have a little bit more of a local foothold on these conservation issues. So the uh, county conservation system was born, and then in the 70s and 80s, there really became a push of environmental education, that we're getting away from the farms in the woods and to bring that natural connection back into day-to-day -day life. So um, I am the product of all of those wonderful forefathers bringing uh, natural opportunities to the public. But today my work is, I think it's fabulous, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I get to take uh, animals and artifacts and all topics related to the environment and natural history into people of all ages. Or they can come visit me <laughs> here yeah. at the Nature Center. We have the Hurstville Interpretive Center, or we do interpretive work out in our areas too. So, yeah. so let me uh, ask you this. Do you, do you have a specific category? Because I know like biologists, uh, wildlife biologists here in the state are kind of categorized to, let's say, maybe an upland birds or forest or prairie or, um, you know, waterfowl or, you know, like deer and for forest. You know what I mean? Uh, do you have a specific category or are you kind of all encompassing? Uh, naturalists generally get to be all-encompassing. However, we do find our niches, and that's uh, one of the great parts of having so many naturalists here in Iowa is that we can play off of each other's expertise. So uh, I'm really into my plants and middle schoolers. Like, that's my niche. Okay. <laughs> but my uh, one of my coworkers, uh, she's really into, like, outdoor recreation and uh, – bringing people to outdoor programming and I got my other coworker here he was like into uh, herps and uh, woodlands and photography and just having everyone here we bring a bigger picture of uh, what's out there to people gotcha that's awesome um, be because uh, we've had a naturalist come I live in Johnson County and we've had a naturalist come to the local library and uh, several times to talk about a variety of different things like pollinators and you know i think they even brought some snakes and some lizards and um some even some owls like some birds of prey uh, along mm -hmm. to show the kids and that's always that's always neat for the kids but to be honest with you i geek out over it too because i'm a huge fan of animals and nature i mean i grew up off national Ge geographics like watching those oh, yeah. those films and watching all the stuff that happens out in africa or at, at twenty thousand feet on this mountain there's a, a bug that eats this plant only for its whole life you know like all, all that crazy stuff oh dude that's perfect i'm so glad that you're willing to just say that out loud because dude all of us have a little special geek out spot i know i know <laughs> i love it i love it uh, so let's see specifically plants right why why do you geek out over plants 
Oh, gracious. Um, because I was one of those kids who liked to lay in the sunshine and just ponder the world going by. And plants <laughs> kept up with me. Right. Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they never ran away. But there's something that I find magical about that whole process of seed to sprout to growth to uh, reseeding to decay to fertilizing the soil and making the cycle happen all over again. Just that whole thing draws me in. I want to sit there and watch it happen, whether it's slow-mo over millennia or those two-week fast plants we got to do in elementary school, like the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, to this day, it blows my mind how trees work, how an acorn or something even smaller than an acorn can grow into this absolutely giant organism that is sometimes, you know, hundreds of feet tall and it grows from a, a seed the size of your fingernail. It blo- it, and then how water is transferred through that, through pressure, it, that blows my mind. Yeah. And it's always amazing. It doesn't matter how many times I study it. It's yeah. something always amazing about that process. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're going to talk a little bit about edible plants because I am a huge fan, not only of consuming morel mushrooms, but going out and looking for them like that. It's that 50, 50 split. I love going out and looking for things, mushrooms mostly, but, Mm -hmm. uh, and then me and my wife, we bring them back to the house. We cook them up for the family and you know, it comes full circle that way. But I have a feeling that that you're going to tell us that there is a whole grocery store out there that uh, we should probably learn about. Well, we're going to stick to the produce section right now because we need a hunting license for anything else. <laughs> right, right, right. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, this time of year, right? Morel mushrooms are really popular. Are there once once it gets warmed up a little bit and we're you know above <laughs> above freezing? But uh, what do we have? other than morel mushrooms that, uh, in, in, in the mushroom family, I guess you could say, that uh, we should be looking for as well? All right. Well, here in the spring, we are generalized with those cooler temperatures, but also wet conditions. So uh, in addition to the morels, there is the what's commonly known as the false morel, and that is a another woodland-dwelling friend um, they are gyrometras, um, sometimes they're called beefsteak mushrooms, but they are going to vary different from the, false, uh, from the regular morel in that when you cut them in half, there is going to be matter in the middle, and the outside cap can be taken off almost like a stocking cap. Okay. Um, our true morels, when you open them up, there's that wonderful open little cavity, and then you can see the lacy bits on the outside. That's it. Um, some people find these false morels to be a wonderful delicacy. They call them the beefsteak mushroom. Other people run from them. Um, they do have a toxin inside that can be built up in the body. Other cultures have seen them as a delicacy, and they have incredibly detailed cooking preparation instructions to make them, I don't know, palatable, safe, however we go through it. I'm personally not jumping on that bandwagon right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much is too much. Right. So there there are 
do they look the same as Morels? Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't know about that. And everything that looks like a Morel, I pick up and I eat it. Okay. Well, honestly, um, when you look at them, you, I hope you go, oh, that's a different texture. That's a different color. That one's got a great big bottom. Okay. Hmm, it's really heavy. But you know what? Curious people are curious people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, there's, there's the morels. There's the false morels. What else is growing out there that uh, we yeah. can take advantage of? Oyster mushrooms are plentiful, and they are so easy to grow in a wide variety of habitats. So, um, of course, you want downed wood, but I'm finding them growing on my mulch pile. I'm finding them on standing trees. These oyster mushrooms will be plentiful all season long, so long as there's enough moisture. Um, We have several different colors, I guess, uh, subspecies here. There's golden ones, there's pearly ones, there's pink ones, there's white ones. They're all going to taste almost the same. Um, Some people really do have a strong preference between the gray ones or the yellow ones. Whatever suits your fancy, but the oyster mushrooms will be um, very cluster forming and they're going to be uh, kind of shelf-like, that they're going to be stacked and have that overhang appearance. Okay. And they grow, um, I think I know what you're talking about, but is there a specific color? Because from what I've read, there might, some of these um, oyster looking mushrooms may, like they may look the same but there are some that you need to stay away from? Okay. Um, There are several different types of shelf fungi, and the oyster mushrooms are going to be very fleshy. They're not going to form a hard crust. They're not going to be paper thin. They're not going to be multicolored. They're going to be pretty uniform in their texture and their color when they're ready to consume. Um, Also, take a look at the underside of the mushroom. Um, Fungus are fabulous in all their wonderful different ways of presenting themselves. True oyster mushrooms are going to have a uh, parallel gill structure. So I want you to think about a, um, a skirt with stripes that go from the waist down to the toes. And all of those stripes are going to go in one direction and those not going to overlap. The gills on an oyster mushroom should do the same. Okay. All right. So so that's a telltale sign of what uh, you should or should not consume. Yes. Okay. And then all of the mushrooms in that shelf packet are going to have a stipe or like a stem that are going to come together in a bundle. So when I'm looking for oyster mushrooms, I like to slip my knife behind where that whole group of mushrooms have kind of formed a a scab almost, (laughs) and then I can get the whole bundle off in one go. Gotcha. All right. Uh, That's good to know. Other than uh, those those mushrooms, anything else that we can... uh, I've heard of pheasant backs before. Yes, yes. Pheasant backs, pheasant breasts, however you wish to describe them. Um, They're polyporous squamosis, and... uh, They are delightful when they are young, but when they get a little bit older, you should just make moccasins, man. They're not going to (laughs) be any good to eat. Um, But they have, uh, again, that shelf-like structure with a a stem-like projection that goes into wood. And I've seen it both on living trees and dead trees, but uh, they're 
pretty, uh, I want to say meaty almost. They're yeah. going to stand up. They're not going to crumble when you flip them with your fingers when you're walking through the woods. But uh, the top side of those do have a um, beautiful overlapping kind of tawny brown color that gets that pheasant breast yeah. uh, name is it looks like little feathers carefully lined out and they're they're kind of soft and they're almost to the touch the ridges on the brown coloration do stand up yeah yeah i noticed that the underside of that one is uh very smooth but if you look at it closely it looks like tiny white sponges okay all right and uh is there you mentioned that these the bigger a mushroom gets uh, maybe um maybe i'm implying here but the bigger a mushroom gets the the less desirable it becomes yes okay as far as uh, day-to-day consumption goes but why is that doorstop you can go for it why is that (laughs) well um as they age of course they dehydrate and also they have built up uh, thicker cell walls and it allows them to uh, be part of that natural cycle i find that these uh Pheasant breast mushrooms become habitat for many other little invertebrates, but also um, they uh, are a cool little resting place for like the ground squirrels to sit on. Yes. <laughs> so I don't yes. know if that's their explicit evolutionary purpose, but I find <laughs> them being <laughs> very integral to the other living things of the forest as they age. So find them when they're young and they're flexible, and when you break them, they smell a lot like a watermelon rind. Yeah. That's uh now that you mention that I I understand. I, I you know I because this past year was the first year that I ever went out and cooked or or picked mushrooms other than morels because I mm-hmm. had a conversation with a guy who's like dude you're you're missing out if uh, you're just picking morels because there's so there's so many other things out there that you can you know you can go and and uh, get and put in, in the bag and take back to the house and I cooked uh, I took the the pheasant back that I had I, I chopped it up into little squares and then I mixed mm-hmm. it in with like butter um, butter fettuccine and oh. that was that was how I used my pheasant backs this last year. God. So, I'm so glad you got a chance to do that. Yeah. So what else? What else as far as mushrooms? All right. Well, if you are in an area where you can find some more deeper forest, um, the sulfur shelf mushroom is uh, a very fleshy, sturdy one that I really look forward to. Um, it comes in almost this psychedelic bright orange, whitish red coloration and again they're going to be um kind of like i want you to imagine throwing a pile of coasters together on the table they're overlapping in these roundish patterns and um when you break them it looks surprisingly similar to poultry flesh okay and that's what the taste and the texture is when you cook them down but really yeah you got to cook these babies gotcha all right um uh, hen or chicken of the woods hen of the woods is that what it's called yes um and that is a brown mushroom that uh almost forms this rosette structure and i typically find them on the forest floor 
Um, that's one I've heard of people having uh, some gastrointestinal distress with, but also <laughs> I'm one of those people who goes whole hogs. So yeah. um, there's my disclaimer here, folks. If you're going to try a new mushroom, do so with uh, an appropriate amount of uh, caution. It's, you know, you, you want to be safe and you want to enjoy your food, but I'd hate for you to have uh, a lot of distress because I'm encouraging you to <laughs> eat something that just isn't going to be your buddy. <laughs> right, right. So is that, a, is that a spring or is that a fall mushroom? I want to say those are more of a fall one. They are not in, immediately on my like, hey, let's go look for those right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So we've talked, we've talked about mushrooms, right? And when, when I called you the first time you were telling me about, uh, like signs that something will, it may not be here now, but something will be, is there a, is there a place for mushrooms that we can identify now and go back later and find them? Okay, hang on. You used the word chicken of the woods. That yeah. is another name for the sulfur shelf mushroom, and that is that orange one. Okay. I wanted to throw a quick uh, edit in there real quick. Okay. My, the, other, the brown ones that form on the ground, those are called hen of the woods. Hen of the woods. I find in the fall. Okay. There you go. Sorry. But yes, how do we go about finding mushroom friends from season to season? Um, Obviously, people are going to hoard their morale patches like family secrets. So I don't know how to tell you about that one. But a lot of other mushrooms, you can see remnants of where they were last year. So when I'm walking through the woods right now, I see those dried up bundles of oyster mushrooms. Or I see um, the leftover stem of those pheasant breast mushrooms. Those are little things that I just kind of put away in that file of I should check back later when conditions are better. So when it warms up a little bit or we get a little bit of rain, I go check on those spots. Right. Um, you know, it's the, the wonderful thing about this is you get to go out and you get to learn areas and you get to learn their rhythms just like you do when you have a child. You learn that whether or not they're a morning person or, you know, this particular day just gets them going. I'm encouraging you to go out and get that experience and to get that hands-on knowledge of what's going on in your area. Gotcha. Okay. Now, mushrooms. We're, we're done talking about mushrooms. Let's talk about other plants or roots that we might be able to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Everything. Oh, Everything. my goodness. No. <laughs> I'm going to start off with dandelions, folks. Okay. Please, 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 please do not spray your uh, dandelions. <laughs> I want you to go eat them. <laughs> and why is that? Okay. So uh, dandelions originate from the Mediterranean and they're a food plant. All parts of a dandelion are edible. Um, and they are some of the first uh, pollen sources for many of our native pollinators here. So it gives those uh, insects a real nutrition boost to get going for the season. So even though they're not native here to North America, they are going to play an important role in feeding many of our native species. Um, so they're easy to find, they're readily identifiable, and they're generally rather plentiful. So with people starting out on dandelions, of course I want you to go to a place 
where there's not going to be a lot of foot traffic, pet traffic, and of course, the presence of uh, pesticides of different varieties. We want them to be clean because we're putting them in your body. Okay. So is there Once a... We've got... I'm, yeah, sorry, go I'm sorry to interrupt, but when, um, when we do pick a plant, is it mm-hmm. best to just eat it like a deer eats it, or should we take it home and wash it, let it sit in the fridge for a little bit, then consume it? All right. I'm going to go with fresher the better, but also I'm not with you. Um, if you feel like this area is a little dusty or if you're not certain or you've got sunscreen on your hands, go ahead and give them a rinse at home. There's certainly no harm in taking that 24 hours or 12 hours or whatever to let it sit in the fridge till you're ready. Um, also, when you pick enough to have for lunch the next day, there's no harm. Go ahead and put them in the fridge. They're not any different than lettuce in that regard. Okay, cool. All right, dandelions. Dandelions. All right. So, of course, they start off as these gorgeous little leaves and their rosette formations. Um, the younger the leaves, the more tender they are. No different than any other leafy green you buy in the superstore. Super um, so, early in the season here, um, yes, you can just go full deer, in my opinion. But my yard might be different than your yard. Um, my kids do that. They'll just go outside and start grabbing dandelion leaves and eating them. Um, they start to find their way into just about everything I cook because they're so versatile. Of course, salad greens. And they there's something magical about bacon grease <laughs> and dandelion leaves as mm. a salad. So you're using the dandelions in a BLT? Oh, yeah. Oh, buddy. That's a good oh, idea. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> now, when the leaves get bigger than my hand, and I'm, I don't know, I guess my hands are like seven inches long from finger to heel. They're not huge hands, but when the leaves get that big, I decide that they're too big for me to be eating anymore. They get a little bitter. I move on to little leaves or just find a different food. Uh, so dandelion leaves, yes, use them like you would use any other leaf. Honestly, they are uh, kind of fuller-bodied like spinach. They do hold up well to that cooking process. So okay. you can expand your uh, culinary efforts into things like uh, dandelion artichoke dip. Go for go. it. There you go. What about mm-hmm. – uh, so? and then if you're comparing it to spinach, you can basically replace any recipe – that calls for spinach, you could probably just add dandelion leaves. Yes. I have not had any problem with that particular swap as far as a one-to-one ratio. Okay. All right. What's next? All right. Well, do we want to talk about another plant or more of the amazing things you can do with a dandelion? Well, uh, you lead. Uh, You're the expert. What's what's the next thing that we can do with a dandelion? Um, the roots people, some people really take uh, a liking to it as a uh, roasted uh, tea substitute or a coffee substitute, I should say. It makes its own tea. But the flowers are fantastic and entertaining. Um, right now, I sent the kids out to go find enough dandelion flowers to make pancakes last night. Um, I couldn't find enough to justify pancakes, but we definitely ate some dandelion flowers (laughs) because they're fun. So how do you do that? Like, you grind (laughs) grind them down, mash them up, and then put them in with a batter or what? Uh, So what I have my kids do is um, the flower has um, where the sepals are, where it joins the stem. It forms kind of like a little bud or it feels like a... Oh, gracious. 
little little dot candy <laughs> at the base of the flower petals, and we just squish it so that all the little flower petals fall off, and then I'm left with the uh, the sepals and the stems separate. So I just have the beautiful yellow petals in a pile, and then I can incorporate them into uh, batters and doughs or whatever fabulous carbohydrate dish you want to <laughs> encourage them to be in. What's that do to the flavor profile then of that? Uh, it's a little like adding zucchini. It's pretty darn neutral, but there's a little uh, sweetness to it. Okay. Very interesting. Very, I, I, I'm getting ideas now. I'm starting to get ideas. Um, all right. So the root of a dandelion could be used for teas, potentially, you know, like, uh, and I assume you're treating it just like a tea, like you, you let it soak in water and mm-hmm. then you just drink that, right? Okay. All right. What else with a dandelion? All right. Um, honestly, just get creative, folks. Just because I get stuck in my own personal flavor rut, you can just go ahead and go wild with them. I've seen fritters and donuts, and the only thing is I've seen people stay away from the stem because that can be bitter. Some people don't like the um kind of milky sap out of it but that's where you can make bracelets folks so you can go play oh, with yeah. that part <laughs> yeah yep i used to do when i was a kid i would pick a dandelion i would fill a glass with water and i would i would split the stem and then mm-hmm. i'd put it in the water and then the each side of the stem would curl up into these crazy little circles and I thought, yes. I thought, I, I thought I was doing some major science experiment right there. Oh man, that's good stuff. Yeah, I like it. All right, and we don't even have to wait for them to go to seeds; it'd be fun to play with. Okay, so <laughs> right. is there is there anything that we can do once the they turn to seed? You know, and then instead of picking them and blowing them, is it, can we do something with that? I've seen uh, various art projects come to fruition at that point with those little puffy okay. seed heads. But uh, usually by the time they've gone to seed, the leaves have become too bitter to really enjoy. Uh, the wo- the roots have become woody. It's past their season. Okay. All right. So what's the uh, – is there anything else that we can do with dandelions or are we moving on to another plant? If you are one of those fermentation fanatics, make some dandelion wine, but that's a lot of blooms. Okay. So how's that How's that work? We just, uh, just soak it in water, or how does that uh, work? It's, it's a wine product, so you're going to need your fruit. You're going to need your yeast. You're going to need uh, the sugar. Go ahead. Let it do its magic. Ferment in bottle. Okay. Gotcha. But I'm not going to dive into that because we're going to need a whole new show for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. So <laughs> the dandelion has a lot of uh, possibilities, to, you know, a lot of different options to, to go down w- with that plant. Mm-hmm. What else? What what other maybe uh, plant gets overlooked or uh, maybe there's another exciting plant similar to a dandelion that we should all take advantage of? All right. Well, spring here, really, the name of the game is roots, shoots, and tiny little leaves. So we're going to be doing a lot of focusing on those tiny little green things. Um, So ones that we probably wouldn't give much notice to later in the season would be like uh, oxide daisy leaves, nettle leaves, cattail shoots, 
plantain leaves, raspberry leaves. And if you've got dock or Japanese knotweeds, kudzu even, those little shoots, leaves, and tubers do make tasty additions to your diet. Okay. Is there a, a resource that you use? Because, you know, obviously we're on a, a podcast here and we don't have any visuals to, to show. Does, mm-hmm. um, does Jackson County, County Conservation or does the Iowa Department of Natural Resources have a resource that you know of or a book that you would recommend for us to, if we're interested in heading out into the woods and, and take, you know, doing this, is there a resource sure. that we can, can, well, let me see if I can grab you a, a good, um, I know that the Iowa Association of Naturalists put out a really cool, like mini magazine thing of edible things in Iowa. And that I do believe lives on the Iowa DNR website. Let me pull that up real quick so I can give you accurate information. Yeah. And while you're doing that, um, is I, I noticed on one of the websites that pine needles, there's specific conifers, uh, whether it's a cedar tree or a pine tree, I can't remember, mm-hmm. but you can eat pine trees. Yeah. What's the What's the takeaway there? Because I look at a pine tree and I go, I don't want to chew that. Well, no, you're not going to just stuff them in your mouth and chew away. That's that's a good instinct, man. <laughs> um, so pine needles grow plurally. So we look at that branch tip, and you see that all the pine needles are living in happy little groups. And then you take those pine needles, and you're going to infuse them with something else, whether that's hot water or um, sugar. Okay. Or salt, whatever uh, kind of dish you're going for. I have had some good luck infusing pine needles in salt and then doing meat rubs. Okay. Smoking it. Yeah. So that's another way of using those. Um, We're not in a part of the world where pine nuts are a thing. (laughs) Um, All of our pine seeds are too tiny to roast like that, but uh, those pine trees can be uh, a host of other foods in different parts of the world. Are there any uses for pine cones? Because I know there's there's a variety of pine cones out there, but can we use them? Uh, not edibly. Okay. Uh, I've seen them used in different arts and crafts projects. I've seen uh, resourceful people extract the sap and form different adhesives. But as far as food, no. Okay. <laughs> that would be news to me. Gotcha. Um, so I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but harvesting ginseng in Iowa is illegal, correct? Or do you have to have a spe- specific license for it? Okay. So that goes into the division between public and private lands. Okay. But ginseng roots take a decade or so to really mature into a size to be worth harvesting, to be worth your time to sell. Okay. So uh, if you... Iowa State DNR rules at the moment say that when you are on those public areas, you should do nothing to disturb the host plant. Gotcha. So a root is crucial to the host plant. That's not not an okay thing to pick. Okay. Um, people do harvest the roots in their own timbers or find themselves in rather nefarious situations elsewhere, but um, a good ginseng steward collector is going to realize that this is a long game folks if you want to have a good 
uh, patch to go back to. You have to be very selective and very careful with your techniques if you want to have a sustainable harvest in the future. Okay. So what does that look like? Uh, you, you mentioned it takes a, roughly a decade to harvest a mature root. Um, what does the harvest of that root look like? And then what does ginseng do? Why is it so um, coveted? All right. Well, ginseng, um, I don't, <laughs> I'm not on that bandwagon, but it smells lovely. And um, it is a kind of low growing plant. It doesn't get, you know, more than mid calf on me, but the roots um, are treasured for traditional Chinese medicines here. It has. Um, antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects. Also, some people um, reported that it helps with blood sugar or even cancer treatment here. Um, it It's one of those things that I think I need more information on to be on the bandwagon for ginseng. But gotcha. I do know that a lot of people have really found great uh, results with it and awesome for them. Right. Okay. Uh, what about um, any other root that grows wild that we should, you know, if if we see the plant, maybe we should dig it up and uh, get that root. And get that root? Folks, parsnips. Okay. Eat your wild parsnips. I know that they are a dermatological nightmare when those leaves start producing oil and people aren't using proper precautions. The parsnip roots are great. Yeah. And since they have that uh, invasive tagline on them nobody's going to care how many parsnips you pick right now there you go ever there you go so it could be a buffet of sorts yes so like over the it was a couple weekends ago my husband went out and he looked for all the little early parsnip leaves they're kind of all crinkled in like an accordion right now and he used uh, that spade and got all those parsnip roots we trimmed off the hard woody parts and roasted them up with some wild rabbits and had a great lunch. That's crazy. That's awesome. All right. No, now you mentioned the oils. Is there a, is there, uh, um, because I am, I'm severely allergic to poison ivy, poison Mm -hmm. oak, uh, poison parsnip. Is there a difference between poison parsnip and the edible parsnip or is it the same plant? Same thing. Same thing. All right. Well, yep. Uh, Even in uh, commercial cultivation, they do have to be uh, careful of contact with the leaves and the oils. Okay. And is there a time of year that the oils are more pronounced and that you should really take precautions uh, as far as a spring versus summer? Honestly, if they're green, there's a potential. Okay. So give yourself that uh, little bit of space and grace there. Wear your gloves. Wear your sleeve. If you can do it in the evening or um, at night even. One more reason to go explore the world by starlight. Let's go pick your parsnips. There you go. All right, so what about um, any other plants that may have, that you need to be careful about, but if you do it the right way, like are are people eating poison ivy leaves? (laughs) I've heard of it. (laughs) I'm so sad. I would straight up die. I would die. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've heard of people eating all sorts of things, um, and most of the time, it's just the curious. They're yeah. not going to eat a buttload of it. They're not going to 
pick a whole area, but those little curious nibbles can have some pretty unpleasant side effects. Yeah. So um, do do your research, and of course, um, even if you eat the wrong thing, doing the right thing of just doing a little bit at a time really is a, a prudent way of keeping yourself right. safe and minimizing the risks of trying things that maybe you didn't identify as fully as you could have. Right, right. Okay, so um, berries. Yes. What do we got in Iowa for berries that you, we really need, you know, that we should really go look for versus what we really need to stay away from? Okay, poison ivy has berries. Okay. <laughs> they're white, they're fall, um, so you don't have to worry about them this time of year. But commonly I see pokeweed with those beautiful magenta berries and these large uh, clumps that are not going to be edible. It's okay. going to either give you roaring diarrhea or worse. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, also, Virginia creeper has uh, little berries that grow in groups moderately similar to grapes, so you got to pay attention to the leaves there. So when you're picking berries, take a look at the leaves, take a look at the stem, and get a whole picture for that plant before you're like, ooh, it's purple and it's tiny. I should stuff it in my face. Right. No. And, and that's a, that Virginia creeper is a no-go on the on that's the berries. That's a no. Yep. Okay. All right. What are some what are some berries that we should eat? You should you, all the raspberries and blackberries you can. And we do have wild strawberries, but we have something called a wild Indian strawberry. Why it has that name, I don't know. Um, they're edible, but honestly, they're disappointing. You eat them and it's like a little poof of styrofoam. Okay. <laughs> There's no flavor. Okay. So if you the the leaves are very similar to strawberry leaves, they just they're they're tiny. Right. It's We're, okay. So if you discover a wild Indian strawberry and you're disappointed, it's okay. All right. Where are we finding these um, blackberries and these raspberries? They are um, uh, edge plants. They like the transition between wooded areas and sunny areas. Okay. So on our farm. Um, it's always like you're leaving the woods. Welcome to the blackberry patch. <laughs> okay. All right. Lots of blackberries there. What's that tree um, that it's, it's a tree. It grows, but it has the berries on it. Oh, man. I have uh, my mom. We have service berries. We have plums. They grow in purple and red. Purple and red berries. On maybe, maybe as they're growing, they're red, but when they become when they get to maturity, they're uh, purple. Uh, I know that my they, they have a leaf that looks similar to a oak leaf, uh, a rounded oak leaf. Um, man, I wish elder elderberry, elderberry oh, or something like that. But, elderberry, yeah, that's a whole different bottle of wax, my friend. But yes, elderberry uh, grow in like these little umbrella structures, and we'll see those. Oh, June ish, yeah, June. <laughs> July. Yeah, June. Yeah. We've made so jelly out of those. Yeah. Oh, gracious. You can do lots of stuff with elderberry. Um, they like to live in little colonies. And like I mentioned, that the flowers grow in these white umbrella-like structures. So do the little tiny black fruits. Um, the elderberries are uh, touted as being wonderful remedies for things like sore throats and coughs. It's one of those things you should just have in your medicine cabinet. 
but also as a flavoring agent. So a little bit of elderberry syrup goes a long way for flavoring um, teas or um, say I've got some applesauce that is a little lackluster. I can throw some elderberry syrup in it and really make something special there. Um, Also as a food coloring, if I want something to be more of that wonderful uh, bright pink to deep red color, I can add my elderberry syrup. Um, The berries dried out are a great addition to any number of baked goods, but also um, when you, uh, oh, with a fancy word for pounding meat flat and stuffing tasty things inside and rolling them up, throw the elderberries in there too. I think it's a mulberry tree is what I was trying to explain. I was looking up up here at my phone, and I think that is – That house in Oakleaf. <laughs> yeah, that's not an Oakleaf. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 you're the expert. I just talk for a living. <laughs> so. All right. Mulberries, yes, we will see those bad boys later this summer. Um, and they're prolific because they are spread by our little bird friends. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Eat mulberries. We have, we have a little um, gathering – Every, it's like a it's a a fishing gathering that we have every single year at my mom's house and uh in her yard they have these mulberry trees so we mm-hmm. go out and we pick them and sometimes we make jelly or jam out of them and then we eat them uh with you know for breakfast with you know your toast and butter and sometimes we just pick them off you know pick them and eat them right there and it's something fun for the kids because their fingers get dyed you know they, they oh, get yeah. they, their fingers get dyed so they find excitement out of that but uh he, i'm a huge fan of those because uh i don't know they're just they're so sweet yeah yeah, they are a really sweet one, and those uh, translate well into dried fruits. They make great raisin substitutes. Oh, there you go. How do you do that? Sunshine. Sunshine. So you just <laughs> let them sit out and you let them dry out. Yeah, uh, I've got a great big multi-trade Excalibur food dryer that has the different temperature settings and the different fan settings. Um so I load that bad boy up. But honestly, if you've got a couple old window screens, you can put them in a single layer there and let them do their thing in the sunshine and the breeze. There you go. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other berries that uh, maybe go unnoticed or may, might be a little bit harder to find but worth the effort? Ooh. Well, uh, when we get into berries, we're going to start thinking summer to fall. Okay. Um, Service berry trees are not one of those things I see very commonly in the wild, but uh, in cultivated areas or as decorative plants, I'm going to encourage people to start planting more service berry trees. Aesthetically, they fit into most landscaping very easily, and the fruits are lovely. Um, So visiting my chiropractor in the summer is like I, I want to schedule two appointments when her service berries are ready so I can eat before I go in. Um. So uh, service berries are starting to become more common in the landscaping world. So seek out some of those instead of being like, I'm going to plant another maple tree. Throw a service berry in there. They don't get particularly large. So that makes it easy for harvest as well. Okay. So it kind of serves a dual purpose. It looks good, but you can benefit, uh, your your, uh, taste buds can benefit from it. Yes. Gotcha. All right. So uh, anything else out in the woods, whether spring, summer, fall, that maybe is on the top of your list that uh, we need to go looking for that we haven't talked about yet? 
All right. So if you did your homework last fall and started marking off those asparagus patches, now is the time to go look for your asparagus shoots. Yes. So um, that's one of the things that I like about this foraging evolution career as I learn um, is every year I get a little bit more of a mental catalog of go check out that spot later. Um, So what I'm looking for are the leftover ferny type structures from last year's asparagus and right now um, those asparagus fern leaves in the ditches are going to be very pale they're pretty showy there's not a lot of green growth covering them up so um, when I'm uh, gravel road grocery shopping, I guess. I, I will go look for those remnants of last year's plants, get down to the soil later, and start looking for those asparagus shoots. Um, so getting to know your area and forming those year-long relationships are great. Um, also, most of the time, asparagus are right in the roads right away, so you're not trespassing to go digging through the ditch. There you go. <laughs> That's okay, too. Yeah, there you go. I can remember... Um... When I was a kid, me and my uncle would do that. We would drive the ditches and look for asparagus. And I mean, sometimes they were, it was growing under people's mailboxes. I mean, that's yeah. how, that's how uh, close to the road they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would make enough to, you know, grab some and grill them up with, uh, with whatever fish that we caught. So uh, yeah. it was, uh, and I love asparagus. I'm a huge fan of it. Love it. Is there, is there a size to where it stops being palatable? Um, for me personally, that's my thumb. Okay. But uh, I give it the nibble test. Start at the tip and work your way down until it doesn't feel like it's fun chewing anymore. Okay. There you go. <laughs> other than so, as, other than yeah, asparagus, uh, what else is there? Anything else that we uh, we should look for or that you have a favorite of? Ooh, um, I like little shoots off of basswood trees. There's something about nibbling those little tree buds that I find greatly satisfying. Um, Of course, that prevents the leaf from growing in the future, but basswood leaves are tasty. So it's one of those just like quick treat things. I get to eat half a dozen and then I say, bye-bye, thank you, tree. (laughs) So what's the, what's the, uh, what does it taste like? Um... Spring, joy, sunshine. Fresh. <laughs> Very fresh. Um, but uh, other leaves that I like this time of year are going to be um, uh, garlic mustard leaves, uh, plantain leaves, lamb's quarter. Those are also, oh, wood sorrel leaves are fabulous. Okay. So there's lots of things that I just find myself nibbling on. Um, walking through the woods is slow pace this time. Okay. Especially those, those, uh, the wood sorrel leaves are so easy for people to identify because they look so similar to clover. Right. And that uh, really refreshing, captivating, lemony taste of wood sorrel leaves gets people to like, ooh, I'm going to pay attention to this one. It's great to throw in on your sandwiches because it adds that really great citrusy flavor. Um, I've got a friend who swears by violet leaves, wood sorrel, and garlic mustard in her morning smoothies. Very interesting. Very interesting. So she's out there. She's looking for violets. Like, how common are violets? But again, that's one of those. All parts of that plant are edible. So her smoothies will either be very dark green or uh, there's a 
or a respectable purple hue to them. <laughs> it looks great either way. Nice, nice. Well, Jen, I you know. This is a very interesting topic, something that we don't talk a lot about here on this particular podcast, but I feel that, you know, it's out there and uh, we should all be taking advantage of it, especially when, you know, today, who knows, like grocery stores are so they're almost like a weird place to be right now. And knowing that there are other options out there, if you want to take the time to go do it, or you want to experiment, uh, that, that, that it is an option. And and I asked you a little bit, um, a little bit ago about references. Did you happen Mm -hmm. to come up with a reference for us? Okay. Um, I couldn't find directly where that book is on the Iowa DNR website, but they do have, some really great links to articles and other resources on the Iowa DNR website, but also call your county conservation because I am not the only naturalist in the world right now who would be utterly delighted to talk to you about what you're finding in the woods. Um, (laughs) We're just in that down point. uh, So I wish we could spend more time on field trips where I could take small children out and be like, here, eat this. Yeah. Do you guys <laughs> um, have cla- classes or culinary classes or um, any type of workshops that uh, happen throughout the, the summer or fall or whenever, really, uh, that a person, if they're interested in this, can educate themselves? It really depends on the interests of your county naturalist, but it be, is becoming more and more popular. So, uh, Keep an eye out on your local program offerings. Like this past year, I did a uh, really quick venison cooking and canning class. Um, We've done wild uh, Queen Anne's Lace jelly classes. We've done elderberry classes. It really is what the public says, hey, I want to learn more about this. But um, uh, the more demand we hear from you, the more likely we are to make them on a regular basis. Um, where I'm doing the majority of my teaching is these uh, women into the wild workshops is where I'm given an opportunity to sit down with a group for several hours and like, let's go harvest something. Let's process. Let's eat. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, interesting that you say that because I, th- I feel that you know, for me, retention or introduction into hunting, because I'm a, I'm a big hunter, right? I love taking Mm -hmm. venison and fish uh, out of the, you know, out of the wild and eating them and, uh, or turkey or whatever, really. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I think that that also finding food in different places is another avenue into almost hunting, right? So, so when you can, when you can introduce someone into plants and vegetables, and then maybe mm-hmm. even ease them into, hey, if you want to really get into it, we have hunting seasons and we have a variety of things that you can take advantage of there as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, like in my family, the dynamics are my dad is the one with the firearms and I am the one with the baskets. And between the two of us, we got dinner covered. There you go. There you go. That's <laughs> awesome. That's all. I want to come eat at your house sometime. <laughs> It's great. It's great. Uh, there's going to be lots of stories. You plan on being there for a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jen, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with us today. Very good conversation. And uh, if anybody maybe wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Oh, that would be 
honor. <laughs> Somebody wanted to call me in chat right now. Um, I'm with Jackson County Conservation. So our general email is jacksonccb at jacksonccb.com. Um, you can find us at Facebook under the Hurstville Interpretive Center. And I really do encourage you to reach out to your local naturalist because, gracious, uh, my brain is just like, oh, but you should talk to Chelsea and you should talk to Andy and you should talk to Mike and you're part of the state. And what about this person, too? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so Amen. We've got resources available. Reach out to those folks. 